Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 103rd episode of the Diverse Minds award-winning podcast. And on today's episode, I'm going to be talking about colorism and shadism, what it is, why we need to be aware of it, and why it's super important to challenge it. As part of South Asian History Month, and to talk about South Asian women's advancement, which is this month's topic on the podcast, colorism and shadism is key. Academic and author Ibrahim X. Kendi defines colorism as a powerful collection of racist policies that lead to inequalities between light and dark people, supported by racist ideas about light and dark people. Colorism is a form of discrimination that favors light-skinned members of a particular ethnic group. It's an uncomfortable, unspoken or less spoken about topic in the wider South Asian community. We often turn a blind eye to colorism and shadism that occurs. And colorism can be seen when global majority communities of color discriminate against each other because of their skin complexion. Generally, it seems to center around being too dark, for instance. This form of racial discrimination dates back to slavery, colonialism, occupation, and has been systemically passed down through the years. When doing research on this topic, and there is a lot out there, so please bear in mind that this is a very much an overview, and I would suggest that you do check out the links I'm going to mention in the show notes and have a read of this information yourself. But I found this very insightful piece on her culture by Parvati Suresh Kumar, and she ha- highlights how the foundations of colorism in India were set over 3,000 years ago, when society was divided on varna, which is the term that combines skin color, class, and caste, and is rooted in myths, legends, and identities. It's a social structure based on caste that has implications for skin pigmentation. So those belonging to the lower castes who often undertook the hard labor under the sun, maybe didn't have access to proper nutrition and couldn't always have the time to take care of their appearance, however you define that. Then over time, these sections of society began to look different from one another. Um, now, this is this roots back a long, long time ago, but I'm also going to give you a bit of information about ancient India and how that change took place. And then it's thought that with the invasion of Arabic and Persian rulers in the Ottoman Empire who had lighter skin, potentially that divide grew. Although I do know, again, from reading How to Be an Anti-Racist by uh, Ibrahim X. Kendi, is that actually any Arab traders didn't base indentured labor or slavery on skin color. So not sure how clear that picture is. But colorism ultimately attained its full ugly power with the advent of colonialism by the British when they arrived in India in 1608 and ruled over Indian soil for over three centuries. And under the infamous East India Company, Indians were reduced to servitude and forced labor in their own country. And if you want to know more, don't forget to check out the episode on South Asian Heritage Month that I did last year. But so even then, the division was all about who is closer to the whiteness. So the British had a preference for lighter skinned Indians and providing chosen ones with these privileges and advantages. So much like in America, where there were the 
slaves who worked on the land who had darker skin and those slaves who had been subjected to rape and torture and sexual abuse and had children those children were dual heritage mixed race and often those children went on to maybe work in the house so this thing around closeness to whiteness so white British masters quote unquote manufactured a disdain for Indian skin there was also something about Indians being submissive etc which was different to the narrative given to African Americans and African peoples that were displaced and moved against their will. This led to then associations of power, prestige, societal superiority and beauty with being fair. And even after all these decades of independence, white skin is still coveted, honoured and powerful. However, in ancient India, as I mentioned, throughout the early medieval period, black did not denote blemish. In fact, much of the folklore and literary traditions defining Shyamvarna, dark complexion, were an attribute of beauty and suggest that dark-skinned Indians were represented and very much so among the educated stratum, dispelling this misconception that all dark-skinned people were ostracized low-caste people. But what we see now is that lighter skin, lighter, straighter hair with what's perceived to be white global north type body shape are better and successful men, so wealthy men or men that have got a lot of autonomy and say should marry women who fit this standard. Woe betide, they should be attracted to anyone of the same sex. But that's a whole different story, I think. Colorism and shadism do exist for men too while we're talking about this, but there seems to be more of an impact on women due to beauty standards and the way in which women are always scrutinized more. And in India, colorism is a customary practice perpetuated by these ongoing cultural beliefs and values that have been shaped by colonialism, occupation, social institutions and the media. And I think for many of us who identify as being part of South Asian communities in its wider sense, and I really feel sick saying this, have heard things like, oh, you're pretty for a dark skinned girl, or she's pretty for someone dark skinned, or, oh, isn't her skin so beautiful and light? Um, They are completely insulting and belittling and um, inappropriate. And I don't think many people realize the history of where it comes from. And it comes from being occupied. And global majority people of color often associate darkness with unattractiveness and poverty. So these thoughts around closeness to whiteness seem very embedded. I also learned while researching this that many people who identify as being part of the global majority communities of color can be told they are too light and they're not really South Asian, black, etc. So it does happen in both circumstances. But to quote Ibrahim X. Kendi again, he talks about in his chapter on color, White people and dark people reject and envy light people. White people have historically employed the one drop rule that even one drop of black blood makes you black. So that was definitely something in the US linking to Jim Crow's laws, etc. To bar light people from pure whiteness so that it very much was around you have to be quote unquote pure to be white. Dark people employ the two drop rule, as he calls it. Two drops of white blood make you less black to bar light people from pure blackness. Light people employ the three drop rule, as he calls it. Three drops of black blood mean you're too dark to bar dark people from pure lightness. The quote unquote drop rules of racial purity were mirages, just like the races themselves and the idea of racial blood. No racial group was pure. And I think it's really important to know about that. And the sociologist Mita Rani Jar of Berkeley states colorism is when physical attractiveness, whiteness and youthfulness have accrued capital, just as darker skin, hair texture, disability and aging have devalued feminine currency. Women of color are burdened with an impressive ideal of what is beautiful inter and intraculturally. Colorism is exploited by companies who make and want to sell more skin lightening creams.
And when a global majority person of color with light or lighter skin rises to prominence or becomes the first to occupy a particular position, it's all too often seen as a sign that structural barriers to the progress have been removed. This one kind of progress for a certain kind of person. And the British writer Laura Smith has argued, the trend for mixed actors, models, or television presenters to be deployed as the unthreatening faces of diversity can squeeze out other people of color. And a research study entitled The Impact of Colorism on the Career Aspirations and Career Opportunities of Women in India, published in December 2015, found that dark-skinned women in India and South Asian countries have fewer opportunities to join the workforce as journalists, sales associates, flight attendants, models, actresses, actors, receptionists, and other jobs that require exposure to and interaction with the public who will judge them as unattractive. If you are deemed a dark-skinned girl in the US, you are three times more likely to be suspended from school than your light-skinned peers. Just hear that for a second. How ludicrous is this? Even up to 2017, before commercial surrogacy was banned in India, although I do believe it still must happen, a study found that fair-skinned, high-caste women were paid more to be surrogate mothers than their dark-skinned, quote-unquote, low-caste rivals. I mean, this is just unbelievably shocking. So one consequence, of course, from this and why you know, it makes sense, why wouldn't it be the case, is mental health and suicide. Research entitled Far From Fairness, Prejudice, Skin Color and Psychological Functioning in Asian Americans, published in November 2016. Now, remember, the definition of Asian is slightly different in the US. So what Americans refer to as Asian is usually we would think of as Southeast Asian and potentially some countries in South Asia as well. In November 2016, found a correlation between symptoms of depression and prejudices against darker skin tones among Asian American women. So data from our 821 Asian American undergraduate students, 57.5% female and 42.5% male, were drawn from the National Longitudinal Survey of Freshmen. Cross-sectional and longitudinal regression-based moderation models were conducted, and the results showed that lighter skin nullified the association between prejudice and recent depression for Asian American females. Results also highlighted skin color as a pertinent factor relevant to the short-term and long-term mental health and social experiences of Asian American women in particular. In October 2019, a 21-year-old Indian woman in India had allegedly killed herself because of constant harassment by her husband over her dark complexion. This happened in Rajasthan, and the woman's father told police that her husband used to repeatedly humiliate her over her dark complexion, which led her to kill herself. And this is not the first time that taunts over dark complexion have allegedly caused Indian women to take their own lives. In 2014, a 29-year-old woman killed herself after her husband taunted her over her skin color. And in 2018, a 14-year-old girl took her own life reportedly after classmates bullied her and called her ugly because she was dark. This is beyond heartbreaking and painful. And that the person that's meant to adore you and love you as a partner is taunting you that causes you to take your own life. I can't imagine what that must feel like. Skin lightening creams like the brand Fair and Lovely, which are very popular in, in India, and I think now they're called Glow and Lovely, and other skin lightening creams in India alone were estimated to be worth 354 to 421 million pounds in 2019. And by 2024, it's thought that approximately 8.895 million dollars will be spent around the globe by people desperately trying to appeal to Western beauty standards by chemically lightening their skin. And I have to say, I really do feel sick reading this.
But reflecting on this myself and how I definitely see myself as brown, I definitely see myself as South Asian. I do actually see myself as like medium, quite dark. But uh, if I suppose you put my skin color on a scale, I must have benefited from some kind of light skin privilege. I certainly have never wanted to be or see myself as white passing. And I don't see myself as light skinned, but if you think about the piece I did on emojis, so what your emojis say about equality and diversity, and I talked a lot about skin tone in that because of the emoji skin color options uh, and the one that I choose, maybe it isn't quite the right skin color, but I think there's probably a skin color that lots of skin colors that aren't represented. But this has been insightful for me to reflect on how might I have benefited from privilege, from not being um, the most dark tone. And even saying that makes me feel really, really uncomfortable because personally, I don't care. But clearly, this has had an impact. And if my skin color had been different, how would things have been different? And I'm sure things would have been you know, much, much harder. So it's very sobering to talk about this. And it's very sobering to think about this. And I think, again, those of us from South Asian communities have probably had family members or people say to us, oh, don't go out in the skin. You don't go out in the sun. You'll become too dark. Or, oh, gosh, your skin's gone so dark in the sun. And personally, I really like that. <laughs> I feel like in the winter when there's not enough sun, I, I go a really strange shade of yellowy gray, which just doesn't make me feel particularly healthy but it's far more than sort of a trite reflection on on that I really genuinely don't care but it just this perpetuation the lack of conversation about it just goes to show how much we have to do so I really hope you're enjoying this podcast and the content and you want to keep up to date then why not join my bi-monthly newsletter where I send out news information and tips twice a month you'll also get a copy of my ebook the mentally healthy leading manager so do click on the link in the show notes and you'll be directed straight to that so this is huge and what really can we do particularly in the workplace as it's a sensitive topic and not one that we can really launch into especially in the workplace it's incredibly triggering and there's so many layers to it depending on the community culture religion etc and as i mentioned i've just given a very brief overview of course there's so much to, more to all of this i've not touched on the whole continent of south america and the different things around colorism there uh, the philippines is another country uh, mexican diaspora cuban diaspora there's so much to this so firstly those of us from communities of color global majority communities must draw attention to this issue within our communities especially those of us who might be bi tri quadrilingual and the words that may be used to talk about people who have darker skin we know that language matters and for more about this check out episode 37 why bother with inclusive language but this is paramount because if we cannot have these conversations inside our communities how on earth do we start to have these conversations outside our communities of course it's possible but let's go back to that discussion that quote that i read out from how to be an anti-racist, the one drop, the two drop, the three drop. And we need to be able to talk about this. Then think about the lack of people, and we can all do this, with darker skin shades and high profile or high status positions. Politics, who are the people? How many dark skinned people across the world? What might be the barriers they have faced? We can read up about them if they've said anything publicly. We can read public information. We don't have to ask people and force them to put their private into the public, as I said, because it is very triggering. You know, I'm sure there would have been assumptions about their ability, what a professional person looks like. And often within our own communities, we know that there's so much prejudice, they, it acts as barriers to allowing people maybe with darker skin shades to enter these spaces. So who has a right to be in that space? 
don't forget active listening. And if you want to know more about this, check out episode 97, active listening to support someone who may want to talk and explain. And we may not understand. As I always say, we don't know everything about everything. I'm on my own learning journey with this topic, but we can be an empathetic listener and create connection. Consider the images you use uh, in marketing materials, advertising campaigns, in you know internal newsletters, and the mix of skin tones and shades within images, and not assuming one image represents all global majority people of color. For example, it's really rare to see a darker skinned South Asian person represented. This is super easy to change. So this could be quite an easy one to do and not in a tokenistic way. So start representing all the different skin tones. And those of us who have privilege, and I include myself in this, and know that we can speak up and make space, let's do it. Uh, we might still be on a learning journey with this. So this is something for me too. And thinking about what are the privileges we might have had? Maybe people view us as attractive. Is it because of our skin shade as opposed to our personality and how we comport ourselves? So this is super, super important. And be aware of this and keep thinking how you can learn and unlearn and understand more. And it's part of dismantling systems of inequality and racism. To truly have anti-racist ideas, we need to move away from this nonsense around colorism and shadism locked in eugenics. And actually, it's quite a modern phenomenon in the grand scheme of things. Remember about medieval times, blackness. Many of you may know the story about Henry VIII's trumpeter, who was a black trumpeter, and he wrote to Henry VIII for more money. And race wasn't this hierarchy that it is now. So it doesn't, it doesn't serve anyone and it didn't serve anyone. And then there's been a long period where it served people because mental ill health is a result of this and it can lead to suicide as I've illustrated. So it's all part of an anti-racist continuum and we all must do and be better and understand how this damages people and people start to internalize these things. So colorism is based in colonialism, occupation, slavery. It's really important that we understand it. We talk about it within our communities. We try and understand other people's experience of it and think about skin shades, tones, and representation in everything that you do. So I really hope you found this episode useful. I know that it could have been really triggering for many people. It is a sensitive um, and very upsetting subject. But do check out diverseminds.co.uk if you want to know more about how I can help you. And the research papers um, I've included in the show notes, Far From Fairness, Prejudice, Skin Colour and Psychological Functioning in Asian Americans, The Mental Health Effects of Colorism in Black Communities, The Impact of Colorism on the Career Aspirations and Career Opportunities of Women in India. That's a journal on SAGE Publishing. Dark is Beautiful, so a really great website that challenges these stereotypes and negative narratives around darkness and her culture, not fair, still lovely, navigating colorism as an Indian woman. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and do join me next week where I'm speaking to Anjum Khan, the director of the Asian Business Chamber of Commerce, talking about her leadership journey and how Asian women can shine. So until the next episode, we will see you then. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.